This is not a recruitment podcast. Thanks very much for joining us, Virginia, for another episode of Powered by People. Um, so today we've got uh, Bill Brewer. Bill, what's your title these days? It seems to change. Talent with... Strategy Director. Talent Strategy director. director. Myself, Rex Rustling, uh, co-founder, director of New Partnerships, which is basically sales director. Mm. Um, and Virginia, uh, Virginia Taranda, uh, director of uh, talent acquisition for Zalando. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe you just want to give us a little bit more background about yourself, Virginia. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's a really cool space and just wonderful to connect with you. Uh, my background is quite interesting as well. I mean, I'm originally from Venezuela, so I may have lost my accent along the way because I picked up the American accent mm -hmm. where I lived for many years. And uh, now I've been in the UK for the last 15, so I've just flies. And um, yeah, so I've, I've, I've got an interesting career. I started as a lawyer and uh, moved on to um, get into the business and do business operations for a number of years with Oracle. And then Amazon gave me my first shot at moving into recruitment and having an HR career eight years ago. And um, um, since then, I haven't looked back and I've had some really cool roles. Uh, worked for Amazon in exec recruitment, then the industry recruitment for AWS, doing tech non-SDE roles, so non-software engineers, but mm. professional services, solution architecture, and so on. And then Salando came around and uh, I've been there for the last uh, three years, building, shaping, experimenting, innovating, and doing some really cool things. Yeah, I noticed, isn't you joined there in like March 2020? Yeah. Which must have been interesting. Yeah, I joined uh, March 2nd of 2020, so two weeks before we publicly went mm -hmm. into pandemic mode. And uh, since then, it has been quite an interesting ride. Uh, but I, I think, you know, in change, it, the last three years have taught us so many things. And uh, I, I was I was sharing, you know, that change. Yeah, I didn't. The one constant we have now, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't realize that you'd actually started off as a lawyer and then moved into a talent acquisition. Um, you know, I think it's, it's really interesting because it probably helped you a lot in terms of negotiation. Absolutely. Perfect. And I think, you know, we, we'll probably get into this later in the podcast, yeah. but we're talking about in how important it is to realize that as humans, you know, we are very flexible, we are agile. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, we hear a lot about skill-based recruitment, but it really is about transferable skills. And uh, like you said, you made the association about, you know, negotiation. It's also about understanding and influencing. And there's just so many other transferable skills, right, that allow you to adapt. And as we see new careers, it'll be interesting to to see how our skills help us yeah. adapt to these new careers. And that's a lovely segue. <laughs> so we always try and pick a new subject um, and uh, we think about what people really want to hear about in talent acquisition. And we've done some really interesting ones um, over the past few months um, on everything that um, that is really like a current topic at the moment. And uh, something that like I had some ideas around what we could talk about today. And then um, I was speaking to Virginia in the run-up to this podcast, and uh, you brought something up which I thought was actually uh, not something we previously considered, but is probably, um, in my opinion, 
a burning issue tomorrow that we probably need to start thinking about today. So I'm quite excited. And um, already this podcast is kicking off a bit late because we literally spent the past half an hour talking <laughs> about it. Um, so upskilling our talent so we don't lose our competitive edge in the current climate. So I think firstly, I'd just love to know what that what that means for you. So we promise we're not going to get into AI, right? Mm. So that we don't segue it yeah, right, a little bit, yeah. But what does it mean for us? I think that in, we have seen a huge change. In, you know, we talked about COVID, mm. but we also know that in another kind of trendy term, uh, you know, the green transition, we've talked about AI, we've talked about the economy and how that has had an impact, right, on, on jobs. And I think that it's very easy to look at, you know, the short-term view of, and I know money is king, right? So companies do have some constraints. You have to make decisions based on shareholders or investors or so on. Mm. But it's very easy for us to make short-term decisions. And we see it a lot in what's happening with the layoffs, right? That um, even in places that we never thought we having layoffs and even in sectors like mm. Did you really ever think that, you know, a software engineer was going to use a job, you know, like, you know, so, so I think that it is about looking at, you know, the, 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 the lost cost opportunity there, right? Uh, uh, what it takes when you lose people, right? And what it takes when you onboard people. Yeah. Yeah. And when you think about laying off talent that is engaged, loves your mm -hmm. brand, fits into your culture, you know, pioneers in your culture, um, but they may not have the right skills you need at yeah. a certain time, you know, not knowing what that gap can be and not doing something about it, I think is going to be the greatest disadvantage we're going to have, right? So you see one year, you know, recruiters two years ago in the summer of 2021 were the most hard oh, as in demand of software developers it was crazy it was crazy and how many of us know people in our networks uh that are now amazing talent mm. that are looking for other things to do and uh as an employer if you actually have the opportunity to think about how you place them and where where they can go for you while things change instead of letting them go we imagine you know, how much are you saving, but how competitive it is, it is for you, you know, as an advantage in this, in this economy. So that's kind of the, the context behind this discussion. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get too far down one path because it's going to probably come up later, but maybe we need to think about when we look for skill requirements, we think about current skills and interest in particular future skills. You know, we, we see it, I, I'll say from a tech perspective, because that's my background. Um, you know, let's say a current code base is in PHP, but you know you're going to be transitioning towards something like Golang. You ideally want to hire engineers that have got one interest in the other mm -hmm. because you're kind of future-proofing the organization. Or at least that's what you want to be doing in yeah. the good times. I think you're absolutely right. I think with, um, you know, investors and, and money and business um, will always take the, you know, the forefront and this hard decisions have to be made. But if companies have a way to be able to retain as much talent as they possibly can it should never be underestimated just the value of people that are already embedded in the business know the business inside out the teams the politics all of these kind of things when people are putting business plans together they know i mean i've seen it recently 
they never really take into um, account just how long it takes to really onboard someone and how when you can actually see them getting up to speed and delivering in those roles. Um, and if companies think that they can, you know, turn off a tap now, make a lot of redundancies, turn back on a tap in a year and expect the same level of productivity, um, it's not going to, it's not going to work like that. So yeah. you know, to really, if you can put people into different roles and use their skills in other areas, that would be a, a yeah, a huge game for a lot of businesses. So Phil developers of yesterday, mm. you know, the developers today, yeah. the machine learning engineers of tomorrow or, or whatever it'll be, you know, you know, um, yeah. So I guess that leads me nicely on. So. I guess we've already talked about it a little bit, but um, love to know a little bit more about what everyone has actually seen as the recent impact um, of the, uh, the economic climate on, um, you know, investing in basically the skills in, in, in our talent. So, uh, I mean, I guess start with Virginia. What, what have you seen recently? So I think sadly, you know, it is a cycle that repeats itself, right? When I moved here in 2008, maybe aging myself a bit here, but it's okay. Uh, I moved to help the Oracle business back then grow the professional services business go yeah. from 1 billion to 2 billion in a very short period of time. I wanted to do that in four years. And then the 2008, 2009 mm. financial crisis hit. And mm. similar to COVID, right? This is something unexpected. Mm. And um, back then we did some cool stuff to protect talent because mm. we had to make some tough decisions. I think today we, you know, it seems like sometimes we forget and we haven't learned from some of the things that we've seen yeah. in the past. And uh, I read an interesting article in Time in April in Time magazine about how much evidence there is that, uh, you know, layoffs eventually do not give you the financial return, especially within a three-year window. And, um, and this whole uh, article was about, you know, was tech getting these layoffs wrong? And um, I, I think that that's what I've seen the most. There's very few companies uh, today that um, are thinking about this strategically. If you go back to Amazon's history, you know, Jeff Bezos has been very famous for his let annual letter to shareholders because he didn't want the company to be held ransom to his long-term strategy because he had to deliver value to shareholders. And um, obviously, they've had to do some changes lately, like everyone else. But obviously, in the size of the company, the changes that they're doing are, are very long. Yeah. But I, I think that that's what we need to start asking, right? It's like, you know, can we continue with this, you know, wheel of waste, right? In in hiring and firing, depending on how the climate changes yeah and wheel, so, wheel of waste i think you've just coined it yeah um, yeah and uh and also the economy i mean if you see you know what's happening with interest rates right now everybody's a bit nervous and yeah. you know people aren't sure if change if rates are going to go down by 2024 or by 2025 or you know how many people are trying to secure their mortgages what is this going to mean for people being able to make payments so the economy is not going to change drastically. So this is even more important now. Like, how far can we go about just cutting and cutting and cutting without thinking about investing? And I think that the the topic that I'm very passionate about today, and I think it's probably going to become an area where I'm going to spend a lot of my time, is really working on sustainable talent. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, for from my perspective, because I look at 
um, talent in and in skills in and business very much within talent acquisition because that's obviously um, where I work. Um, what I've noticed over the past, I would say, uh, nine months due to in the current climate is um, we've ha- had a really, really busy period of time where everybody is just like staring at their feet, trying to uh, hit aggressive hiring goals that we saw in 2021, uh, you know, unsustainable hiring. And what that kind of meant is that everybody was extremely time poor. Um, and now, um, over the past nine months, where I've seen, unfortunately, people um, are not hiring as much. And as a result, people in talent acquisition have got more time. Um, I've seen a lot more knowledge sharing going on in the community. So I've, I've personally feel like it's been interesting in the past nine months to see um, all these talent acquisition communities popping up, people getting to know each other better because they've got more time to do it. People like thinking about what they can they do in terms of extracurricular for like for knowledge sharing exercises, um, workshops, presentations. Find um, mentors has been a big yeah, popped up a lot, wasn't it? People definitely find mentors and other people in the industry to learn from. Definitely, and that that's been a really that's been a positive story in all of this recently. I do think that um, it's been very much like led by um, individuals wanting it rather than necessarily from organisations recognizing that there's a bit of time where people where they can actually say do you know what we we're not hiring as much we kn- we know that it's not going to last forever um talent acquisition is going to be important for us in the future so all the special projects that we wish we could do mm-hmm. that we never usually have time for let's do that now let's get on the front foot in terms of our mm-hmm. um uh frameworks around workforce planning or our dni strategies or, or like uh, leveling within the business, you know, all, all these different types of projects, because let's not forget that recruitment is only one channel within talent acquisition. Um, and for me, I've seen that being quite positive from an individual perspective. Haven't seen too many examples of businesses recognizing that opportunity and think and sort of future-proofing the talent acquisition of an organization from that perspective possibly driven by the sort of need for uh, operational efficiency for the bottom line. Um, I think the companies that are hiring us are, I'm seeing an interview process a lot more around soft skills coming into it and their ability to adapt when they come into a business now. Uh, whereas in, in the past, it's been, can they do that job? Let's get them in. We're hiring very fast. Mm. Whereas now there's being a bit more emphasis on their team fit, their ability to take on new tasks. Are they people that have trained and developed themselves in the past because they're trying to future-proof themselves a bit more to not having to do layoffs and people that can get involved in different areas make them find find jobs for themselves yeah yeah exactly like, oh, we're not hiring look, not look busy but be busy because i need to uh show that i'm adding some value during these times yes exactly which is actually yeah yeah i've actually yeah i've definitely heard of a few well i know a few people who have told me they're doing exactly that yeah um cool so um what happens if we don't deal with this what what if we don't address this what's the outcome um i mean from my my perspective um we were speaking off mic a moment ago about um having these sort of inverted triangles of organizations where effectively we're not investing in skills we're not investing in our talent and you end up with an organization full of senior people big salaries all want to be leaders all want to have an area of remit 
um, but not that many uh, people coming through. And uh, you know, when you start you start your career, you're you're more you're a technician before you're an engineer. Mm-hmm. And there's there'll be a lack of executors and, and too too many seniors in an organization. And um, I think that's really dangerous. I'll tell you a little bit about what I have seen in looking at the data since maybe 2019, and particularly how this affects, for example, DNI, you know, in tech, right? And mm. um, and why it's so important to have uh, a, a talent strategy that feeds your talent, wor- you know, your workforce plan, because that younger, more junior talent um, is the talent that mm. knows about AI, knows about how to prompt on ChatGPT, mm. are the most agile but also is the most diverse talent. So if you look across Europe, you know, 40% of women um, or software engineers with less than five years of experience are women, right? So so if you think about how much, how diverse that is at that level, if you stop feeding that new talent and you stop training, What's going to happen is the senior people, if if the business has slowed down, may actually be thinking of moving elsewhere, mm-hmm. and you're going to have a big gap. So I know again, you know, we talk about sometimes when the financial outlook is not great, you have to make some tough decisions, and sometimes, unfortunately, some of these programs, like your early careers or your DNI programs and so on, may suffer. You would have to put them on hold. But is that the right thing to do? And I think at least you should have the conversation with your stakeholders about what that means, right? Mm-hmm. So everything that you've invested to bring up that DNI, um, that diversity uh, in your tech teams, you know, if you put it on hold, you know, or if you're not going into the right talent pool, what impact is that going to have on the on the long run? Yeah, that's actually interesting because I, I think it goes further than that, especially for the big organisations. If you think about um, the sort of decacorns of um, the tech world who have got really large presences in um, big cities, if they're not investing in um, bringing up uh, talent or upskilling people in those communities, mm. they, they also, um, therefore, will bring tro- trouble to the cities that they're in. Like, I'll, you know, let's think of an example like Berlin, where there's a lot of, um, you know, really successful tech companies. Um if they don't foster relationships with academic organizations and have academies and things like that, what they will therefore not be able to do forever is hire um, really skilled people in those cities because eventually there'll be a brain drain. And then that means that they need to attract more talent to these cities. So that means what they do is they bring in lots of well-paid talent and then that causes societal problems in terms of uh, cost of rent, space, um, like literally living costs for people who don't work in said industries um and then that causes an issue um and that can't go on forever so then what happens is you have to start looking further afield for but like okay well where's the next berlin where you know perhaps we can uh get all of our talent at somewhere that has like fantastic um educational institutions at a lower cost base Mm. okay great why don't we pivot there over the next five to ten years um, and it and it can become unfortunately a bit cyclical and, and not sustainable like you like you were saying before. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know we don't want to get off topic on the uh, DNI and how do you create programs? Are obviously mm. a, a whole podcast in themselves. But yeah, it was a question we asked on an earlier podcast: Is does DNI and early careers programs 
are they a luxury in business or do they and do they go out the window the second the economy gets tough um and i think that's a really interesting topic and you can really see the dna of businesses as to how why they invested in those topics in the first place and ultimately the ones who invested in it for a tick box exercise that are good for pr mm. would be the ones that obviously chop some of these things and actually the ones who invest in it because they realize and truly understand the productivity and the way that the business can thrive by having a great early careers program and a great dni program um can really see the strong result and won't make the cuts as much in those areas where they can avoid because they know that actually investing in learning and development early careers dni is going to be a key to actually getting out of the mess that they may be in financially over the next years yeah there'll be there'll be the organizations that are basically bringing through um skilled uh people who know the business know the product um where where perhaps other businesses who haven't done that might be out there spending 120 grand uh, yeah. on an engineer and and i think that to add to that um, point you know you you look at you you pointed out to the example of berlin but if you think about where is your talent pool coming from mm. and what is the age of that talent pool mm. whether it is you know your aging population you know 50 plus right or you know your gen z right and and uh what does this talent want Right. So if you forget or disengage because you think, oh, I can't afford it, that's great. Three years down the line, when you can, when you want to tap into that and you haven't invested, nobody is going to know your brand. Nobody's going to want to engage with you. And most, uh, you know, even worst of all is that this, you know, war for talent that we talk about. Mm. Um, is it really going to be a war or, you know, who's winning it? Is it going to be you competing with your other employers or you competing to actually, you know, get the attention from this talent that is very clear on what they want for their future, yeah. what brands they want to work for and so on. So I, I think you cannot look at this problem on talent sustainability or workforce planning or talent strategy or the careers of the future or, you know, future of jobs without having a holistic view mm. of what you know, the different segments that are impacted or have a say in it will, you know, will need to be successful in the future. Yeah, de definitely. Um, my mind goes a bit blank when I see what some of the recruiters at our organization do. Like they're they're out there recruiting on TikTok mm -hmm. and using all these funky sourcing techniques I've, I've no idea about because, you know, they are, they're the next generation of, yeah. of recruiters. Well, yeah. and, and that is really interesting because actually that generation said, you know, um, email. How many of them use email? I mean, even myself. I've I've got an event coming up in in August, and I wanted to send out an invite. And the app that I was using will only give me two options: a phone number, if it was an American phone number, mm. or an email. Mm. And half the people like we don't even use email anymore. So if you think about most of our CVs, you will have an email, you have a LinkedIn, mm. but ha the majority of your conversation happens on email. Yeah. Uh, right, that's how our systems are set up for recruitment. Guess what? This generation Z, like, you know, you better know what their Snapchat handle yeah. is. You better know, you know, what their Instagram is and you better be talking to them on TikTok. You can't have a presentation without a QR code at the beginning these days. No. Yeah, where where is that that you're doing the presentation, by the way? Oh, I'm breakfast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, we'll see you there. Yeah, absolutely. Next in the next week, I hope that everybody will be there. It's 
the event for recruitment, right? So yeah, exactly. you'll be there too, and uh, we'll have some fun. Hopefully, the weather will be better than today. Well, I it, well I hope so, but at the same time, I think it would be good if it's a proper festival and it chucks it down with rain. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you see Ted's blowing away. Yeah, there was in wellies. Yeah. yeah, to get the full uh, uh, summer festival experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Everyone's cars get stuck in the mud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, great. So I guess like what I'd be quite interested in knowing more about is where you see the biggest threats to um, our competitive edge when it comes to skills. Um, is it economic conditions? Um, is it um, you know, like, for example, um, changing trends. Is it artificial intelligence? I've said it. Um, like, what do you think it's going to be? So, if you haven't yet looked up future of jobs reports from the World Economic Forum and you are in recruitment, I will say that it is important that you have a look. It's a very long report, but if you don't have the time, just go to the infographic section. Oh, no, I know. Of pictures, right? Exactly. Yeah, it just came out at the end of May, so it's pretty fresh. Okay. But I think three things are gonna we're gonna see driving this change, right? So we we know about artificial intelligence, automation, robotics. That's one thing, technology, basically. And then the famous green transition, because even though there might be some uh, deniers out there, climate change is real and it's here to stay, right? And we're we're talking about that constantly. Um, Texas, Houston has 50 degrees temperature. I mean, insane, right? And and how does that affect the workforce? And then the economy. Mm-hmm. And again, we talked about the fact that there are, you know, it, it, it's not just COVID, right? We came from three years of COVID and then you've got the war in Ukraine that hasn't really given us any indication it's going to stop anytime mm-hmm. soon. We hope that it will. Yeah. And then everything else that's happening around inflation, you know, interest rates and so on. So I think you have to think about different factors affecting right, the, the, the creation of new jobs, mm-hmm. um, the elimination of some jobs. And if, if you think about it, you will hope that things will even out, that we lose X number of jobs and we create the same amount of new jobs, right? Yeah. But that's not always the case. And actually, the reason I pointed out to the World Economic Forum is that they say that in this transition over the next five years, 23% of jobs that we have today will change. That's almost 25, so like one in four jobs, right? So if we think mm-hmm. about the four of us sitting mm-hmm. here, one of us might have a different job, yeah. you know? R- Rosie's here, just in case yeah. anybody we're just behind the camera. Yes. Right? So we're, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's not a ghost or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Rosie the ghost producer. Yeah. yeah. So, but but really, I mean, that that's to bring it to, to life, right? To bring it to perspective. And some of the stuff we're seeing there, um, our leaders need to be reading and be, they need to be aware. Mm-hmm. And they need to prepare for the, for the future, right? Yeah, 100%. My, our jobs have changed so much and I don't even know when it happened. Like literally 2013, I was a regular recruiter in an agency. Mm. And um, now I spend, you know, all my time on HubSpot. Like it's just completely different. Yeah, it's mad. You get to do some cool podcasts? Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I do, I love, um, it is about like when it comes to keeping up, you know, a little segue to a story of like how it can affect you. Like my, my dad, big up Guy Rustin, commercial surveyor in Sheffield, <laughs> um, you know, he, he's been in his field for like 40 odd years, most of it by himself. 
So where's how, you know, he's not necessarily keeping up with new trends and things like that. And it goes to show how important it is to keep up with developments in your own industry because your job's not going to be the same. Your job, never mind not being the same, it might not be there in five to ten years. I don't forget he overheard me on a call talking about, you know, I was recruiting an, an analyst and he overheard me talking about dashboards. He came up and he was like, well, I know loads of joiners. Why don't you ask me? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, are, we are talking about a man that didn't want to close his laptop down while he was on holiday. Oh, yeah. He said, don't. Out of office on. He said, it my out of office is on, so don't turn my computer off. <laughs> but I think this is it, right? I mean, you talk about resilience. In, and in the past, you could have those 40 years of wonderful career. Mm-hmm. But we were talking earlier about us. And in, yeah. you know, in the last 10 years, how many different roles and actually not just different employers, because it's not about employers, but how many different roles have you taken on? Yeah. Because at the end, we are human, adaptable mm-hmm. and, and agile, and we, we have to embrace change. Yeah. And uh, I think it's not only upon the employers to figure out on upskilling folks and, and what they do with talent, it's also with individuals. And uh, if you think about... The generation said, I mean, they are very adapt and, uh, and you know, they, they can, they, they're, um, they're also very smart when it comes to new technologies, you know, they can go from TikTok to Instagram to, you know, yeah. don't really go into LinkedIn. I'm trying to get my kids to get into LinkedIn as they start looking at new jobs in the future. And they're like, what, why? This is so boring. Yeah. But at the end, it is, it, it is about that. Go embrace it. And, and we need to take that wonderful experience community of talent that have 30 plus years and remind them that you know they have a lot to teach but they can still learn and they can do new things right and and that's also and you've got so many skills one thing that i really enjoy about you know the the working in companies where you have different different generations working together is how much we can learn from each other yeah, yeah? and uh um, I I got a, a really cool WhatsApp yesterday from one of my ex recruiting managers, who sent me um, just a little meme about you know e- e- true leaders right are those that surround themselves with people that challenge them versus people mm-hmm. that just say yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 it it made my day because he was referring to you know missing working with me mm-hmm. and and I I said to him my response was like you know I I love to surround myself with people that challenge me because I think that we can learn from each other right and and that is the journey that we need to keep going be you know get to people get surrounded by people that can teach you stuff you will still be teaching as well right because it's always two way but never think you're too old to learn or do something different. Yeah, I'm saying, I think you touched on something incredibly pertinent there that it's not just on um, companies' um, responsibility to coach and develop their talent. It's a skill that is needed, I think, for the future to be able to coach and self-develop yourself through your career. I think one thing that recruiters are great at is that there's so many events, meetups, talks, podcasts on ways to learn and develop as, a, as an individual. I'm often having conversations with people where it's, you know, where I'm saying that, you know, it's not necessarily a training session you need to go on. You need to go out there and network and speak to other people and learn new trends that are coming up because that's where you're going to learn and develop as an individual, but so many people. Mm-hmm. There is a big gap, especially in some generations where they don't do as much of that, but I think the younger generation are very good at, at that and that skill 
yeah. developing in their own skills. Our our old boss, Bill, readers are leaders. That always stuck with me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and if you going back to that report I was mentioning, uh, when you look at the skills that are trending today, and what are the skills that we need in the next five years? Um, technology and literacy has kind of dropped to number six mm. uh, because that's still very important. But I, I think we will need to have really good analytical skills, mm. you know, problem solving skills, because we see change happening so quick. Mm. And a lot of it is going to be also, you know, um, influencing. And so soft skills that are things that we sometimes take mm-hmm. for granted. Like you were saying, some of the, this is a trend you're seeing. Yeah. Employers wanting to see more of those soft skills that help people adapt, adapt to a changing environment yep. are, are key, right? And so learning and continuing to learn is not just the responsibility of the L&D department. Yeah, it's yeah. all of our responsibilities to, yeah. to really ensure that we're prepared for the future. Yeah. I, th- I think um, creativity is going to be a really important soft skill in the future because as as we get better at automation, um, I think that's going to be one of the, la- the last things that we can automate is the ability to come up with like innovative solutions and look at problems differently. Um, and I think that, well, yeah, Bill, you might be onto something. I think soft skills are going to play a bigger and bigger part mm. uh, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And the scary part is that some of those soft skills, um, we need to make sure we continue to teach because, you know, when we are in a remote environment and, and you know, and you're new in your career, like, yeah. how do you do, you know, that, that innovation comes together uh, also by a lot of idea exchange, but also the communication and influencing, not just as an influencer on, yeah. on Instagram, but actually influencing others with ideas that you know you can actually bring for transformation and innovation. So, um, yeah, it's important that we're aware of it and that we ensure that you know we do our part to. What do you think about like classroom-based learning then? Because I know that um, in you know if you go back, um, classroom-based learning was was easier when we were all 100% in the office. Mm. Um, I don't know many organizations nowadays that require people to be 100% in the office. Um, And as a result, you know, if it's hybrid or people working remotely, like doing that, um, having that learning and development is really, can be, I guess, I'm not going to say more difficult, but certainly different. Um, And I think maybe it was a bit simpler when you could just put people all in a classroom together and say, this is what we're learning today. Whereas when it's quite like self-taught, it's uh, it's a bit of a challenge. I think there's, I mean, it hasn't changed. There's always been, uh, I think there's four different types of learning, right? I mean, they talk about auditory and visually and things like that. I think Mm. that one of the big things over the last maybe five, 10 years is that um, there's a lot more opportunity to visually learn. There's a lot more short video learning um, tools out there now that has changed the way that people learn and develop, but that doesn't mean that it's going to, completely wipe out classroom learning and because there's still a huge population that learns best by listening to someone describe a topic. So I think what will be is the the ability to coach and develop people in different ways that will play a big part. Do we risk sort of everybody having a skill set that's like a mile wide and an inch deep if we sort of like have all this kind of like short content that we can access? And It's a good point, but I think you, you have to think a little bit uh, about 
assessing the skills and understanding what is missing, right? So we don't all have to know how to negotiate a contract, mm. but we all have to learn how to influence uh, sometimes, even if it is to negotiate your own next pay increase mm. or, or so on. So um, you might want, I mean, if you're a salesperson, then influencing and, and negotiating is such an important skill that you really have to make sure you have the depth. They, what we see today is that there is a, a, a much more um, pressing need for us to have a bit of that mile-long, you know, knowledge that's probably you know an inch deep um, on many other topics. So it would be great for you know, like you were talking about your dad, for he to understand how data is used and why data has become so important over the last few years. And then he probably has a, a huge amount of knowledge around data. He just doesn't know how he's using it or how you're using it, right? So I think that having those exchanges are important. Being able to be back in person to conferences, you know, like having breakfast again, plugging in for breakfast, you know, you know, in a week's time. And when was the last time you were in an event that there were so many people out there? I went to a conference um, two weeks ago and there were 247, I think, yeah. people in Stockholm that came from all over, from the U.S., from you know, from Asia, from Dubai, and and, and uh, it was amazing. Mm, what was the conference? Sorry. Oh, so the conference is uh, led. It's a really interesting conference. It's a it's called the Future Talent Council, and it's one of those organizations that actually bring people from different areas. So you have academia, mm. policymakers, and companies coming together and talking about the talent. Uh, you know, the future of talent, and what can we do to make sure we get the right skills and that. Schools are preparing people for what the companies need and, and so on, right? So it's it's a really great forum. But the point was that, you know, we learn from even just having a glass of wine at the end and exchanging an idea, you know, if you're over dinner, that you can't really do that on a Zoom call or on a webinar. So make sure you find opportunities for yourself to connect with others, yeah. right? And, and I know it's comfortable to learn at your own pace and do your seminar, but in online, but it is important, again, that you as a person take responsibility for creating those opportunities, right? Yeah. So And pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to go to those yeah. things, right? Because they're not natural to a lot of people. And I think, especially, uh, you know, we talk about Gen Z quite a lot. A lot of stuff is done online. A lot of their content is consumed online. A lot of their interactions or humans is done online. So there's a huge part of missing doing stuff in person, which we have to teach them and make sure that it's happening because there's so much to be had from social human social interactions you can't sit there on a you know 247 people you said were in this um conversation stock if that was a zoom call um you wouldn't build any relationships of anyone just a person speaking and the questions will pop up on a little box at the side no human interaction but you walk away from that in person doing it you're not going to know 247 people of course but you've certainly got relationships with a bunch of people that you now you know can you've learned from you can develop on in the future because of that which is huge you always used to learn more going for um, like a beer with you with your sort of bosses on a Thursday after work than you would sort of Monday till Friday yeah. in the office a lot of the time yeah. because you just talk shop, don't you? And you get into what you're actually working on on a day to day, and they give you war stories and advice, yeah. and you take something from it. And and I guess like now because that's not necessarily happening as much, it's really important that in the professional setting where people aren't always with each other, that you make time for clinics, like, you know, hours here and there in people's diary mm. where you get, you know, people together um, to literally just 
discuss a subject that that someone's working on and someone else is an expert in mm. um which which uh scarcely actually i don't know if it comes up very often that organizations have these like enforced sort of clinics where people have got to sort of be there and upskill in an area well, i think that's what hybrid working is isn't it i think that's what they try and that's what they try and do. Yeah, I guess so, right? So then you have to be in the office in these days and so that we can collaborate and, and work together. Yeah. So uh, I guess like what we do at the uh, end of these podcasts is um, we always ask somebody to write down a question for the next guest. And um, the next guest, uh, well, the last guest that we had was uh, Catherine Lightfoot. Mm. And uh, she's written a question and... Um, uh, you'll have to sort of uh, forgive me because I've got to um, I've got to read Harry Bigwood's handwriting here. <laughs> um, what one piece of advice would you give to someone wanting to start out in people slash HR slash talent? You know, I, I th- that's a really great question. I think that um, you are seeing more people that want to start versus yeah. just fall in it by accident. And I think that first of all, make sure that you like people. Because if you're an introvert, that's fine. But you're going to be able, you, you need to make sure that you're not going to be annoyed by having to talk to people, mm. right? And 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 that sounds, you know, counterintuitive. But uh, join for the right reason. Like, I would first ask is like, why do you want to get into HR? What's exciting to you about HR? Or what area of HR do you mm. like? Is it because you know recruiters can make good money? Because <laughs> if that's the reason, you know, unless you can offer a really good candidate experience, it's not the right thing. Yeah. So I I would say my first advice would be, you know, understand why you want to go in, what areas you want to explore, explore many areas, because I think that there's such a great um, overlap between, you know, being a head of TA and perhaps being a head of talent Mm. or being a head of people. And and, uh, you've got skills that you can transfer so you can actually grow a really nice career, you know, have a really nice path to develop your career. Mm -hmm. Um, And... um, don't take no for an answer because if you don't have experience, what you do find is that a lot of people won't always give you a chance yeah. because you don't take a box, right? So um, go out there, figure out in the network, you know, who can um, coach you, who can spend some time with you and explaining. And as you go interview for some of these roles, even if you haven't had the experience before, once you know why you want to join, then you can be passionate about the reasons. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is really important because then people will buy into your story and give you a chance. So, yeah, if anybody wants to get in uh, into HR and wants to ping me, you know, just get me on LinkedIn and I'll That's really we'll have the conversation. I, for, I mean, if I may, I think one thing I would say, if anybody's looking to get into HR or talent acquisition or a related field, people... Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when you're in an early career phase, the like the best incentive people have is uh, for helping you is literally just to help. Um, I I often find that uh, like people are more likely to engage when you're asking for something than you are just giving something. I I think literally do people don't want that trade off. They just want to mentor. They want to do something good. So I think that um, like you're saying, um, don't as well as don't take no for an answer. Don't be afraid to ask. Exactly. And that's what I mean. Like, you know, and if you ask and you get no, then that's fine. You know, mm. just keep working. And, and uh, there's always people. Uh, one thing that I do find in this community is that we do like to help each other. Yeah. And we're always sharing advice. We're always looking at, you know, who needs 
want and how can we how can we help right and, and i think that um it is a very generous community yeah absolutely. yeah i think yeah the only other thing i'll add to all of that i completely agree with all the points is i think it i mean this goes for any career is pick people you're going to work with over company you're going to work in i think especially people starting out in hr or any job um if you can pick the types of people early on that you're going to be working with that you know you're going to learn and develop the most from rather than you know a big shiny brand i think we've seen what a lot of big shiny brands are capable of doing in the last <laughs> year um really making sure you pick you when you're in the interview process picking is this a person i can see myself learning from how long have they been here what was their learning path how passionate are they about helping me rather than you know how good the bean bags are and you know these kind of things it's, yeah it's cool it's, yeah, exactly. exactly. That is important. Yeah. yeah. It is important. It is. It really is. <laughs> Great. Well, um, I think that's us done. So thanks very much, Virginia. Thanks very much, Bill. Thanks very much, Guy Rusting, for being the butt of all these jokes. <laughs> and thank you very much from me. Goodbye. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us.